Welcome to Stellar Discussions, a podcast by Public Node members. Public Node is a nonprofit organization led by Stellar community members working together to support the open and inclusive Stellar network. Today, we're going to be talking about the many different ways to hold digital assets and the particulars that apply to holding Stellar-based digital assets and the implications of that. I'm Brian. And I'm Daniel. Thank you for joining us today. So let's start by talking about custodial versus non-custodial wallets. Danelle Dixon has actually talked a lot about this key management. It's actually a really important part of blockchain, and it's a huge kind of user interface barrier that we all have to work together to solve. And Danelle has been all over this. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that, but that also even some SEPs. Uh, SEPs are Stellar Ecosystem Proposals, and there's one that we're going to talk about today to try to help key management. So let's go first to custodial versus non-custodial wallets. Brian, you want to tell us what each of those is in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. So custodial means there's a custodian, there's someone holding your money for you. That is a traditional bank. When you have $100 in your bank account, Traditionally, you would say, oh, I have $100, but actually you don't. If you have $100 in the bank account, it means the bank owes you $100. So the same is true with a crypto custodian. If you have a Bitcoin, let's say, on Coinbase, Coinbase is a custodial wallet, essentially a a holding place, a bank. It means they owe you that Bitcoin. You do not have full control of that Bitcoin, and you don't have a private key to that Bitcoin. That's why when you send tokens to Coinbase, you need to provide that memo line because that's Coinbase way of of routing to your particular account. So there is no private key. There's no spot in the blockchain that says, hey, look, this is my amount of money. It's basically a giant Coinbase Excel spreadsheet and you're just trusting them. They're essentially a bank. Yeah, I think people are used to actually custodial banks and the fact that when you go with a custodial bank, there's protections of that. So there's somebody else is responsible for holding or maintaining the assets that they owe you. And to the extent they lose those assets, there's insurance and there's uh, stockholders that might take the hit before you do as the individual person with the asset. So I think that's probably the good side of a custodial wallet or custodial bank is somebody else is there and somebody else is in charge. The downside, though, of custodial wallets is they have your keys to your wallet, to your bank account. And if for some reason they change the game or let's say they completely blow it, they're not protected by insurance or anything like that, you can lose your, whether it's crypto or I suppose even uh, in, a, in a bank that's not insured, you could lose your fiat or whatever you, you stored with them. You know, probably back in the days of the gold rush, people would hand in gold. And the idea is that Sometimes you come knocking and there's a run on the bank and they don't have your gold and you don't get it back. And so if you're using this custodial wallet, you better trust them as much as you trust Wells Fargo to not go bankrupt, right? When you're using a non-custodial wallet, you don't have to trust them. It could be a fly-by-night startup. They're not actually holding any of your money. So you don't have to trust them. You know, another good side of custodial is that you don't need to hold on to a private key. You lose your password, you call them on the phone, there's a customer service line. Ultimately, they are responsible. Downside is they might have rules. They might need to report taxes. They might not allow you to send your crypto to a person you want. Their site might go down when you want to do trading. Really, you're putting them in charge. Versus the 
crypto manifesto, not my keys, not my crypto, the non-custodial wallet. Daniel, kick us off here. What is a non-custodial wallet and why is there this religion behind it? Yeah, not your keys, not your crypto. The idea is non-custodials, the only person with that secret key, the only person that has the access to that account is you. So you have that account. No one can take it away from you. You are completely responsible. Your crypto is completely within your control. Now, there's drawbacks to that. If you mess up, if you write it down on a piece of paper and someone comes by and knows what that secret key is or that secret seed key is, if they know what that is, they can take everything you have in that account. So that's the downside of it. But you are responsible. And so a lot of people are who are gravitated towards this originally are probably you know, kind of anti-establishment. I want to be in control. No one can take this away from me. I am controlling my crypto. And I think this actually probably also resonated with a lot of people in the blockchain space is it is a little bit like the wild, wild west, especially in the beginning. There is not insurance for a lot of these, especially early exchanges that they were there and they might get hacked. And after they got hacked and the assets were stolen, they were stealing people's assets. And once that place went belly up, you couldn't get it back. So it was a mistake of whoever's holding your key. You lost your assets and there's nothing you can do about that. I think we were actually making strides on that. I think things like Anchor USD, actually, I saw that they have insurance. And I think we're going in the direction of turning it into more of the what we're used to, protections. If you have somebody in a custodial role, that there's protections that protect the account holder. But right now, in a wild, wild west, non-custodial is truly, you know, your account is in your own hands. Yeah, and, and there's variations popping up in terms of how this works, different hybrid models, uh, you know, different, the UX and UI is really maturing. And it's really interesting space because let's say you are on a, a non-custodial wallet and you want to retrieve your private key. Well, they need to be able to provide it to you without them seeing it. It presents some interesting challenges. Maybe you want to get access to it after you reset your password. It's kind of a, a world in terms of developing apps that didn't really exist or problems to solve that didn't exist uh, before blockchain came around. Anchor USD is a really good example of a hybrid where you have a spot in the blockchain. You have a private key for each and every type of token but you don't even know what it is. You can't get access to it. Thus, if you lose your information, you call them up, you reset your password, and you're back in, right? But the ledger that is holding your money is the blockchain. It is not just like Coinbase, essentially, their internal Excel spreadsheet. So it's an interesting hybrid. Um, I'll give you an example of how I store my money. Hopefully no one goes hunting for it. But for the benefit of the community, I, I think this will be helpful just to talk through if you have over a few thousand dollars and you want to hold it in a non-custodial way, how do you do that without having anxiety all the time? So I'll, I'll, I'll talk through a little bit of that. In Keybase, I have what I'm calling my checking and my savings. My checking has a hundred bucks in it in Stellar and there's no two-factor authentication. There's nothing. I can just send that in an instant. On my savings, it has a lot in it, and I can't send it from Keybase. I typically access it from Lobster. It's the same private key. I'm, I can just look at it in both interfaces. And even when I go to send it from Lobster, it says, hey, actually, this is multi-sig. 
but we need another signature to send these lobster transactions. And usually I'll be sending the transaction to re-up my checking account, right? Just the way people in the traditional finance world, if they run out of money in their checking, they transfer from their savings. So I'm, I'm trying to re-up my checking with my big savings. And it says, you can't do this transaction. You need a second signer. So that second signer I have two and they're equally weighted. I put a lot of time into this. One is a Tangem signer card that uh, public node provided me, which is amazing. Super cool. You just tap it on the phone. It's literally in a bag. The bag is labeled in case of emergency or something like that. Careful, um, Brian. Now, yeah. now everybody knows where you store that thing. Just let the world know. Yeah, I'm definitely moving that. I'm, <laughs> but the, the the thing that freaks me out is I get the tangent card is great, but what if I lose the card? Or what if my house burns up and the card gets burned, right? Or so I have an additional signer and they're equally weighted. I could either use the tangent or I could use the second this additional signer. And this additional signer, I'm not gonna go into too many details, but I want to provide people with a cool idea. If you use any sort of cloud-based storage. Use the version control and possibly store your private key in an older version of an unassuming document. And I think it's a great place to store it because the house burns down, my computer goes, my files goes, where is that key? It needs to be on the cloud. And I know that's kind of crazy to store your private key on the cloud, but I think I found a really good spot. So I got two backups. One is the physical tangent card and the other is this private key that I've hidden. So in your example, even if someone found one of those keys, they actually couldn't get access to your account, right? Because it's protected by multi-sig, if I understand that correctly. Is that right? Yes. So the, the first signer is the primary key, you know, is, is the lobster key. So, and then the second signer is either Tangem or the backup. So if right. they got access to my phone, knew my lobster password, and had the Tangem card, they could get in. But yep. it, you know, by the time that happened, I would have it transferred out anyway. So Yeah. I, I kind of think like if they can get all of that, it's like, oh, fine. It's yours. Take it. Good job. You won. No, but actually, I think what you raised, so I actually do the same thing. I always have three signatures on any of my, any accounts that I really want to protect. The general recommendation is if you are storing more than the amount of money you would be really sad about losing what you hold in your wallet when you go out with just fiat, you should probably consider multi-signatures protection. And there's two really good ones that do it. Lobster does it with their Lobster Vault. And then the one that was around for a really long time was StellarGuard.me. They're one of the first out there. So there's a couple of options out there. But yeah, I always have a three signers with weight of two. So the same idea mm -hmm. that you have. I could lose one. I could give it to anybody. I could give it to the worst criminal in the world, give it to them. They can't get in my account. They need two. They need to get another one. And then also the idea is that I have one always in a place. I don't want them all in the same place. So you got to have some diversity for house bursting, burning down and any of that stuff as well. But which I think actually raises a good point. So you and I have put a lot of thought into this and you got to think about losing it, protection from there, as well as things like fires and things like that. So is the average normal person going to do this? And I will tell you, they are not. I watched my friend. I made a payment to him recently. Uh, we went and, and rented a, a cabin. And I was going to give him my share of the rental fee. And I told him about 
lumens and, and he got really interested and I said, well, would you want me to pay you in lumens? And he wanted to, but then he had to sign up for an account. So I walked him through all the different pieces. And as I was thinking about how much I had to explain to him to make it super protected, it was going to be impossible. I was going to lose all of his interest. He just wanted that wallet. He was going to email himself the 24 word password recovery thing. That was as far as he would ever take it. He just was not going to come up with this elaborate foolproof plan that was going to protect him underneath all these crazy scenarios. I think that's why Danelle Dixon is so you know stuck on this, as well as everybody else in the space. Key management is huge. Until we solve that, it's not going to take on to the larger population. And that's why I really think you will always have the diehards, the people who bury buses and want to keep their keys for themselves and plan for every contingency. And they've got a place to go away when zombies attack. Absolutely. That'll be there for them and there'll be solutions for them. And then there'll be solutions for you and me that maybe take it a little step further. And then there's going to be solutions for the bulk of everybody else. And that is it's going to be custodial solution and there's going to be protections and there's going to be insurance and there's going to be things that protect the account to a certain amount of loss, just like the same way we do with banks. I, I can't see it any other way because this idea of you losing your entire savings because you forgot that two of your keys in your house and your house burned down, not only did you lose your house, you lost your entire life savings that is just not going to work. So the, the key management does present these massive problems, whether it's a backup phrase or it's a private key, ultimately it comes down to this one thing that you need to basically bury in your backyard and not have anyone else have access to it, but you have access, right? There's always this one key. It, it just the definition of the concept of a key means that it is a way in, right? Yep. But I'm not as cynical as you are on, on this. I think non-custodial UX is getting creative and getting better. They're figuring out ways that you don't have to copy and paste. Um, they're figuring out ways that it can only be revealed if you do X. And then there's these hybrid models. So I think there is still a path for innovation and holding on to your own key. Uh, we'll just have to see. Yeah. So, And I think actually that's a good segue to something that I think helps solve some of that for people. And that was SEP30. It's, it's what's being discussed right now. And what that is, is... It's actually split custody is what that SEP is doing. And so the idea is it does not protect your account. If someone finds my key, my master key, I'm, I'm host. They've got my account. That's not what SEP 30 protects from. What SEP 30 protects from, I lost it. It was a paper wallet and then I went swimming and it's, it's all gone and I have no way into my account again. And the way it works is it splits the weighting of access to my wallet against two independent entities. So one might be Lobster and maybe the other one is uh, one of the other big, uh, I'm actually not sure. So Vibrant actually uses SEP30. I'm not sure who the other holder is. I practiced it and Lobster is one of the signers. Maybe it's actually Stellar Foundation itself. But the idea is it splits the weight amongst two different entities. And together, when I log in with my phone or my email, I've registered them with my wallet. And if I can prove I own what, whatever one of those it is, either my phone or my email account, they'll send me and approve a new signature. The two of them together will have the weight to give me a new key. So that's how it works. So it works really well if I've lost my key. But again, if I was foolish and I left my key in the said just in case of emergencies and I just told everybody on the podcast where to find that and someone comes in and takes my key. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Uh, <laughs> then uh, 
it does not protect you from that aspect. But I think you're right. Everybody's working to find new solutions, but we still have a ways to go. So for the non-technicals listening, does this mean that I lose my key and I can ask for an email to be resent to me and my key can magically come back. That's what that says. That exactly. is, that's pretty awesome. And it's actually going to happen all through the app. So I did it on the app. I tried it. Vibrant was the first one to use it. So I signed myself out. Luckily, I only had like $2 in there. I was just checking out the wallet. Signed myself out. I didn't write anything down. So I was going to see if I could get back in. And sure enough, I, because actually I didn't even remember writing down a password. There is no password. Part of Vibrant, super easy. Creates an account. There it is. It gives you the option to write down 24 seed phrase, but you don't have to. So I said, sign up. And then I said, log back in. And I put in my phone number and it automatically knew it had registered that phone number with that wallet. And then behind the scenes, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to talk to two different entities. It knew that I needed to pair that apart. I showed that I controlled that phone number. I saw that Lobster was validating it. Not sure what the other entity was. They paired it. Their two weights together resurrected my key. I think the way it works is it actually creates a new key and then invalidates the one that I've lost. So that one's gone. I still have the same account. So what happens is it starts up a, a Stellar wallet. It sets the weight of the actual wallet itself to zero, which means that key is worthless. It burns it. It creates a new key for me that's associated with my wallet. So anytime I lose that, it just creates a new key for me that has the full weight of 20 on it. Each of those two entities have a full weight of 10. So together, independently, Lobster has no access to my account. They need to work with that other entity. When they work together, they can give me a new key with a full weight of 20. So that's how it works. It's actually really, really smart, but it still does not solve the idea of if I wrote my key down or if someone got control of my actual wallet, I lose my account. I lose everything I have. Right, and, and so... I think there's there's some ways that's being worked on, maybe not with multi-sig, but with two-factor authentication. Um, but then it needs to be kind of a hybrid model. You know, for example, someone tries to send a bunch of Stellar out of your account. If Lobster needs to ping you and say, hey, there's a bunch of money being sent. Are you sure you want to move forward? Then obviously there's some custodial element there, right? Yeah. But that is very cool that, that they can give you a new private key. Because I'm not such a big fan of the backup phrase. Because it essentially is just a private key. Right? Exactly what it is. It, Absolutely. If someone has that, they have your account, everything. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they say, oh, um, take this backup key just in case. It's exactly the same thing. It's just a key. It's the one entrance way. So I don't really understand the difference between the backup phrase and the private key. It, they're both an entrance. They are. And a lot of them, I mean, we're just not used to writing it down on a piece of paper and then putting that in a safe somewhere. We're just, we're just not used to doing that. So what a lot of places do right now is they say, email to me. It goes to your email account. Now, when someone gets access to your email account, they also have access to your entire funds of your bank account, if that's where you're storing it. It's the struggle between good user ease uh, with the idea of safety and, and there's just a constant rub there and blockchain that does have that non-custodial aspect of it. If it goes wrong, it could be something that's irreversible and devastating in the biggest way. You could lose your entire life savings and no one can do anything about it to get it back for you. And to kick the dead horse one more time here, the the irony, and I think this is kind of you know hilarious, but that's just kind of me geeking out, is that when you take your backup phrase or your private key and you put it in a safe deposit box at the bank, 
or you put it on your email or you put it on Amazon Web Services or you put it on Google Cloud, you're taking it and you're storing it with a custodian, right? So it's the same kind of joke that I heard that most Ethereum nodes run on Amazon Web Services, right? So if Amazon Web Services goes down, Ethereum goes down. So it's at the end of the day, people are, are scared of a piece of paper with the number on it. It's digital money, but it needs something non-digital to truly disconnect the key. So interesting UI, UX challenges. This SEP is definitely providing one solution, but there's still a long way to go. Yep, I think that's right. I think we'll get there. That or I think custodial solutions for the bulk of people just need to keep doing what they're doing and keep establishing cryptocurrency or blockchain in general and any of that stuff as something worth regulating and managing and ensuring just like the same way we do today. So you give people options. They get to choose. How do they want to do this? And you've got the extreme on both sides and the individual can choose what's the best solution for them. Absolutely. And you all listening have a choice as to what you listen to and we really appreciate you listening to public node so thank you and we'll see you next time we will